Hey, everyone, and welcome to Chef AJ Live. I'm your host, Chef AJ, and this is where I introduce you to amazing people like you who are doing great things in the world that I think you should know about. Well, today is the fourth Tuesday of the month already. Can you believe it? Which means it's time to see and hear from our resident plant-based physical therapist, Eileen Kapsaftis, who comes on once a month with her show, which is called move well to age well. And today she's going to be talking about how your ankle impacts your neck and other party part, other body parts. Whoa, how's that even possible? They say yes. everything's connected to everything, I guess. Please welcome her back to the show. How are you doing, Eileen? I am doing well, AJ. How are you? I am good. It's a little too cold for me this time of year. So I'm looking forward to spring again. Yeah, so I've got my sweater on, so I'm 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 ready. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's uh, the leaves are off the trees now, and it's time for everything to go to sleep for a few months. And you know, we have to stay awake, right? We don't hibernate. So yeah, I was just thinking how fun it might be to be Yogi Bear. You know, I know <laughs> that would be. Uh, so yeah. How old is it where you live? You live in 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 the east, so I'm in upstate New York. And right now, if I look at the temperature, it is 31. So we're just below freezing. Yeah, that's what that's that's what it was 32 to today. So I can't believe it. I'm used to Palm Springs. I can't believe people live in the cold. Anyway, (laughs) you know what I wonder, because why does cold affect your joints, how they feel? Because, you know, I broke my knee like 13 years ago and it really doesn't bother me too much except going up steps, but like it, it, in the cold, it bothers me more than it did mm-hmm. in the warm weather. You know, that's a really good question. And a lot of people are completely unaware of this, but our muscles, one of the functions our muscles have is to create body heat. And so when we're cold, our muscles are working harder to literally increase our body temperature. And so the harder they work, if you've got an area of the body that's a little off mechanically or struggled or had injury, the muscles working harder in that area is can can trigger some some aches and pains. That's very interesting to know. Oh, I've got to enable the screen share for you. I love, I love, it's like we get a twofer with Eileen because she not only gives a presentation and explains everything, but she also demonstrates it. Yes. Yes. And I am pulling up the share now and you can see that I hope. Yep. All right. Perfect. So I, um, I, I like to show pictures cause you know, a picture is worth a thousand words. And when you're talking about how the ankle impacts the neck and other body parts, it sort of sounds like a joke. Okay. That's kind of nuts. But what I want to do is I want to make sure that everybody really understands that authentic human movement is going to change how they, you know, the training choices that they make. It's They're going to be better and they're going to have improved results because a lot of people injure themselves in the gym or they want to start exercising. They don't know how, you know, AJ, you have such an influence over people for achieving a healthy weight and eating properly. And, um, you know, I hear the wonderful results people have, but then they, they want to get started moving too. And a lot of people injure themselves. So I thought this is probably the best way to show how impactful training your body correctly can be and really reducing the risk of injury and, and harm from exercise. So obviously I always have to start off with the, this is for educational purposes. I'm not diagnosing anyone. I know we always do questions at the end. I can't provide a plan of care or any of that stuff for anybody. I could really hurt them by not knowing enough about them. Uh, it's not because I don't want to answer people. It's because I at first do no harm and it would be very irresponsible and unprofessional of me. And so I don't want anybody to change what they're doing based on this, but now you'll be a little more informed and you can you can have an informed conversation with your prescribing practitioner or your primary clinician or your physical therapist or your athletic trainer or anyone that you're working with to to discern what's the best plan for you. So I thought I don't know if you're familiar with this word AJ but I remember learning this word when I was back as a teenager and I loved it. The whole gestalt. What is that? Well, the word gestalt means that the whole is more than the sum of its parts. And your body really is the whole gestalt. 
It is more than the sum of its parts. You're not an ankle. You're not a bicep. You're a whole body and everything is connected. And the way that the body is connected, the way that everything interacts with everything else is what makes it more than the sum of its parts. And it, it's it's just phenomenal. I mean, I've been studying the human body now for 30 years and I'm still learning. It's I, I just completed a fellowship program, which was 40 weeks long, uh, about 160 hours of video training, not counting assignments. And I, you know, my head hurt from it. And, and there's still so much more to learn. So the body is just phenomenal. Now, I, the agree. Foot. I agree. Yes, it really is. So the foot, the miraculous design of the foot. I couldn't think of a stronger word than miraculous. The foot is designed in such a way that, oh my gosh, and we count on it so much. Who loves to hike? Who loves to hike through the woods? Who doesn't love to be outside? Um, it's just a, a wonderful place to be, unless it's really cold out. Uh, but even, you know, I'm, I'm in upstate New York. I, I bear the winters out. It could be below zero and, and a wind chill and snow and ice. And I'm still out there taking a walk. I bundle up because, and the immune system kind of likes it when you challenge it a little bit. Always being in a 72 degree temperature isn't always a good thing. Uh, but but the miraculous design of the foot, we count on it with every step we take. And unless you've got plantar fasciitis and you're not, and you're experiencing pain with every step, you're not thinking about taking your steps. It's a very subconscious thing. So I want to break down in, in, in as basic as I can, how the foot functions and, and how it impacts the rest of the body and, and how it could possibly impact the neck and the other body parts. So as you can see here, the, the foot, you know, it is a flexible adapter. And the reason for that is what if you're stepping on a bump? What if you're stepping on a, a root from a tree or an uneven surface? It has to be flexible. It has to adapt, or you're going to lose your balance or you're going to get injured. And because of this flexible adaptation that it, it allows, the rest of your body gets what's called eccentrically loaded. And I'm going to I'm going to show that right here. I've got my little monkey here. So I'm going to stop share for just a minute. When you eccentrically load something, what happens is the muscle gets longer under tension. It doesn't shorten, it gets longer. So as I make this get longer and longer and longer and longer, more tension is built. It's getting loaded with tensional energy. And the longer that gets, the more tensional energy gets loaded in there so that, and remember this, because in the next slide, we're going to cover this, it unloads. And you can hear my monkey making his noise. So <laughs> eccentrically loaded means that your foot is designed to be very, very flexible. Let me go back to sharing my screen here. So that the rest of the body, the entire body, all the way up to the neck, gets eccentrically loaded in all three planes through the entire body. Now, all three planes means we move forward and back, we move side to side, and we rotate. We move in three planes of motion. And those muscles are getting longer under tension in all three planes through the entire body when that foot lands on the ground on the heel. It, it's that flexible adapter. Now, when you push off on your toe, it's the opposite of landing on your heel. And now the foot has to be a stable propeller. And, and in order for you to be stable and your body to move forward. And when that happens, the rest of the body gets concentrically unloaded, which means it shortens as it releases that tensional energy that got built up when it was getting lengthened. So you land on your heel, everything all the way up to the neck gets longer in all three planes of motion. And I'm not talking, you know, 14 feet longer, but it, it's, it's being moved in a way where it's lengthening under tension. And then right before you tow off, it unloads as it shortens. It's kind of like corkscrew. And you're now able to have that nice solid propeller to push off. 
Now, your foot, it's so miraculous. It has to be tremendously stable while it's mobile. And it has to have a tremendous amount of mobility while it's stable. So they both go hand in hand. That foot and ankle has to be fully mobile in all three planes of motion. But while it's mobile, it has to provide stability. And while it's stable, it has to provide mobility. Both are happening at the same time. And because of that, you get this subconscious reaction of the foot as a part of the whole body. And and the whole body does this subconscious reaction to the foot. And I mean, you know, when you go to, to knock this over, this thing isn't thinking about where it's moving. It's just subconsciously reacting to the impact. Not that it has a brain, but our body is subconscious. Our foot function is 100% subconscious. Now, yes, you could consciously think, oh, I'm going to land on my heel. I'm going to feel my body weight enter the middle of my foot, and I'm going to push off my toe. You could consciously connect to that and influence it in in a little bit. But ideally, when we're walking, we're not. It's 100% subconscious. What the foot does is entirely reactive. No time for any thought processes whatsoever to happen. So we must know what the foot reacts to and how it reacts to those forces in order to fully understand it, to to test it, to train it, to condition it for real life. And so many people miss that. And that's why their knee is a problem or their hip is a problem or their low back or their neck or their shoulder because nobody's ever looked at the foot and made sure it's fully mobile, fully stable, eccentrically loading properly so the rest of the body is responding, and the body is now in that response causing the foot to change into a solid propeller. It's all the way up to the neck and all the way back down to the foot with every step we take. And I thought people would like this. I was asked to write an article for a magazine. I got to submit it by January 1st. Uh, on swinging sport, uh, specifically golf, but I'm going to include all swinging sports. But you might be surprised to know the most active part of the golf swing is the feet. Mm. Now, the motion of the feet is not as great as the hips and the trunk and the shoulders, right? There's this proportion that occurs. But the significance of the feet as a teammate for an effective golf swing, it's it's greater than any other body part. You must have full three-plane foot mobility and stability to create that proper subconscious response all the way up the body, especially into the hips, the trunk, and the shoulders. And that's so... that you can have a greater transformation of the golf swing from a complete backswing. Now, this is her at the end of her swing, but a complete backswing, you're loading. And then when you got that powerful downswing, that's when things are unloading to a balanced follow through, which is loading. So you're loading, unloading, and loading in a golf swing. And the for, for a right-handed golfer, which is what she is, that right foot, has to dorsiflex, it has to evert, it has to internally rotate on the ground to allow effective loading up the chain. And left foot criteria is the same as the right foot, but even more motion. And I don't know if you can see this, but she is really rotated on that foot. That foot is really internally rotated, everted, and working in dorsiflexion. It has to be there to cause an effective load up the chain. So a lot of you could improve your golf swing just by training your ankles better or your feet, I should say. 
All right, so I've got just a few anatomy slides here, and then I want to go downstairs and show you some movements that can help your body. Um, but, you know, this is the heel bone, and a lot of people think that the heel bone is just at the back of their heel. They don't realize it goes all the way under the shin bone. It is a very large bone, very long, and because of the position and the shape of this bone, the bone that sits on top of it, which is called the talus, the talus is, is kind of like sitting on a saddle and the calcaneus. And it's influenced by what this heel does when you land on your heel. This heel has to do a certain motion. And when it does, this talus rotates down and in, which causes internal rotation of the shin bone, internal rotation of the thigh bone. It's like that song, this bone's connected to that bone. And all kinds of eccentric loading or switching on of all these muscles, all these body parts, all these joints. And then because of that kind of twist or, or screw action that's happening up above, then when it unloads and it unscrews, that reaction goes back down to that same foot so that now the talus ends up rotating up and out and causes the foot to lock in a stable way so you can propel off your toes and not be unstable and fall over. So all of that happens from the time you land on your heel to the time you push off your toe. I'd say that's pretty miraculous. So what happens if something's not happening right here? Well, things don't happen right up the chain. So your calf muscles are going to be influenced in a way that is not optimal. They won't they won't eccentrically load properly to control what's happening at the knee. Whoops, sorry, went backwards. The other direction here. And then once things the force occurs here, if the force isn't correct and this isn't internally rotating correctly, then the femur is not going to internally rotate, which is going to influence how these muscles load or do not load optimally, which is going to influence what happens at the hip, which is then going to, oh, I keep going backwards. I apologize. I keep going the wrong way with my mouse. And when you come up, here's, here's Max. Well, look at the connection here between these muscles all the way up the spine. These are the superficial muscles. These are the deep muscles. These muscles all connect. It, this, this, this reaction occurs all the way up the body, right up into the neck. And I'm going to do some movements downstairs to, to better show this instead of still pictures. But your, your chest wall, your shoulder, you know, nothing is disconnected. Everything's connected. Even the front of the hips here, the deep muscles attaching to the spine, it's all connected and all influenced by ankle function. And here's the neck muscles. You, if, if you're influenced from down here because the hip isn't doing what it's supposed to do, it's gonna influence what's happening at the trunk. These muscles aren't gonna switch on properly. What's gonna happen at the neck? All kinds of things that you don't want to happen. So, I, I made a slide to help those of you who may want to really look a little bit deeper at your own physical function. So if you go to this website here, mwpprivateclub.com, you can um, get a free access to this private club and you can do what's called a movement performance assessment or an MPA. There's a, a worksheet you can download. It's a one page worksheet. This video here you can see is 23 minutes long and I walk you through how to assess your body in three plane function from the ankle up. And you can see what's going on in your own body and you can even document it. And then if you'd like, there's an actual exercise class on this website and you can start training your body in three plane function, conditioning your body in a way that's authentic and then re reassess your, you know, do an MPA again and see if things changed after a week or two. You might be surprised. 
And then the last thing I wanted to show before I go downstairs is I'm currently hosting a reverse aging boot camp for those of you who might want to join us. It did start yesterday. Today was day two, but it's all recorded. It's all the, the content is on the website and day three goes live tomorrow. So you can still join us for day three, four and five. And I do have um, a lot of prizes I'm handing out this time that I've never done before because I decided I really wanted to just, I don't know, I, I'm, I should be Santa Claus. I love to give things away. So um, I just wanted to give stuff away. So if you join us, it's not too late. Okay. I will stop share now. And uh, AJ, I guess I will head downstairs so yep, that I'll, I can. I'll talk to everybody while you're gone. And talk. all right, sounds good. Light back on. Hello, there you go. Well, while she's going down, if you have any questions, please put them in the chat. It's always best to wait till after the presentation and start with four question marks. Then we can differentiate them from comments. If you're watching on Facebook, please watch on YouTube because we really can't see what you write. During the show, we can only go back afterwards, and it's pretty much too late to answer. So tomorrow, we oh, we have a show today, 3 o'clock, Dr. Brooke Goldner. She was not able to make her usual time of the fourth Monday yesterday, so she'll be doing and talking about how to get through the ho holidays, navigate the holidays without derailing your health and your weight, if that's something that it, you struggle with. So that's today at 3 o'clock. And tomorrow the show's a little bit later because the doctor does it on his lunch hour. He's doing, he does these wonderful presentations. He gave it at Plantrician, Dr. Andrew Freeman, a cardiologist, plant-based cardiologist in Colorado, where he does like the best of everything that's happening in nutrition. That will be at an odd time, 12.45 p.m. to accommodate his lunch tomorrow. So back to you, Eileen. All right. And I, I want to give a shout out to your, I haven't been able to be there live, but I signed up for your dessert class. And uh, one, one of my dear friends, Melissa is in the class, but, but it's, I'm loving it. I'm just, I can't be there live at Saturday at three o'clock, but I'm loving it. I'm loving the recipes. I don't really have a sweet tooth. I'm not a big dessert person, but my husband is a huge sweet tooth person. So I was really looking for some healthy recipes that he would enjoy and not go, oh, this is too healthy for me to eat. So uh, yeah, I'm, I'm loving it, AJ. I, I got to tell you. Well, so. I appreciate that so much. Yes, yes. And I love the fact to, to see people's kitchens and how you answer those great questions. And like if they don't have a particular pan or they want to substitute something, you're really a lot of fun to be in the kitchen with. So yeah. thank you. Okay. So I'm going to go into the, the, the movements here. So what I wanted to demonstrate was, now, you know, I've got my little foot model I could have used, but I thought I would just show you as a real person. So when you go to take a step and you land on your heel, because of how that heel bone is shaped, and we've got something, there's a physics thing here. We've got something called gravity, right, which we all know about. We've got something called mass and momentum, which is the mass of your body, the weight of your body in movement. So, you know, the faster you get moving, the heavier you weigh, the, the more the momentum. And there's also something called ground reaction force, which is the, the ground is actually coming against the foot with the same force that the foot's going against the ground. So all of that said, the 100% subconscious movement or function of the foot has to do with physics. When I land my heel on the ground, because of how it's shaped, ideally, if I'm landing in the right spot on my heel, which just is a little bit outside of midline, not quite in the center, just a little to the right of midline for my right foot, because of how it's shaped, gravity is going to make it drop down. And then we've got that mass and momentum coming forward. And now what happens is that bone, that talus bone that I showed in that picture, rotates down and in because of all of that. Your talus bone is the only bone in the body that does not have any muscles attached to it. It responds specifically to what happens to the bone below it and what happens to the bone above it. So the bone below it is going down. So it's riding that saddle down and in. And when it does that, this bone turns in. When this bone turns in, the muscles, your calf muscles, your all the muscles that go on between the ankle and the foot and the, and the knee and coming up into the hip, they're all switched on. 
they're all getting longer as you rotate in and they're going to try to control that rotation so that things don't get hurt or annoyed from the rotation. So it's this eccentric control that happens, that getting longer under tension. And then because this bone turns in, it causes the bone on top of it to turn in. So now the leg bone turns in. And again, all of these muscles are all getting longer as that rotation happens. <clears throat> Comes all the way up into the trunk, all the way up to the shoulders and the neck. And then because of the mass and momentum and the gravity thing, as I swing this foot and I get ready to push off my toe, just before that happens, everything starts to release from that lengthening of turning in and starts to turn out. And as soon as that outward rotation from here coming all the way down starts to happen, now that talus bone, because this bone here is now turning out instead of turning in, that talus bone rotates up and out and it creates that nice solid foot so I can do a nice toe off. Prior to that, when we did the heel strike and it rotated down and in, it made my foot flexible, a shock absorber so that I, I could keep my balance on an uneven surface and I could handle stepping on a rock and not hurt myself kind of thing. So, but when I go to push off, we want that nice and stable. We want the bottom of that foot to be locked. I've got on my YouTube channel, I've got some videos on plantar fasciitis and I go into a lot of detail of the foot function there. So if you wanna learn more about that, I talk about that lock and unlock the bottom of the foot. And if that's not happening right, Nothing above is going to be happening, right? Now, yes, there can be other body parts that aren't performing properly that can keep you from doing a good toe off because if everything has to rotate in and cause a reaction all the way up here and then it, it reacts and changes and ends up rotating out down here, what if something up here isn't working right? What if the trunk, what if the thoracic spine says, eh, I, I, I'm not really good at turning that way? because of whatever reasons, injuries or muscle weakness or asymmetry or poor training or something, scar tissue, whatever. If it doesn't wanna start that reaction back down the body, we're not gonna get a good toe off. We're not gonna get a solid, stable toe off. So everything truly is connected to everything else. But this body part, the ankle is so misunderstood and undertrained, it's crazy. And a lot of people, they'll sit in those machines in the gym and they'll, you know, they'll, they'll push on the plate to, to work their calves, or maybe they'll have something over their toes and they'll pull up and they'll work their anterior tib, the front of the calf, but none of that is weight bearing. So the muscles are kind of like, um, what are you doing? That's not really what I do in life. So why are you training me like that? The body kind of gets a little confused. And that's also where you can end up developing some itises, some tendonitis and bursitis and those kind of things, because it's not really authentic function. So when you train your feet or your ankles, you want to train them in weight bearing. And then the other thing is a lot of people will do where you'll have a, a step and you'll drop your heel down so that you can really get longer and then you'll push up and you drop down and then you push up. Technically, you wouldn't hang out on a step and repetitively lower and raise your foot. It's again, that's not really authentic. If you wanna do it because you gotta really get these massive gastroc heads just palpating, because you know you're going to be on a stage and and you're you're competing in a bodybuilding competition that's a whole different thing but most of us aren't really interested in doing that and so we want to train for real life so you're better off repetitively even against resistance like if you've got something on your, your shoulders for weight and you're pushing up to make the calves work harder that's fine but technically starting from a flat surface would be more authentic because there really isn't any scenario in life where you would be starting with your heels dropped down and repetition after repetition after repetition from that drop down position. 
So it's just not really authentic. And if you really want to train for real life and, and, and minimize your risk, <clears throat> you're better off to do it from a flat surface. So I'm going to show you how to do this um, in a way that works the foot and ankle in all three planes of motion, in a way that promotes internal rotation and external rotation, as well as eversion inversion, which is just as important, that side motion that has to happen, and dorsiflexion. So I know I'm, I'm throwing a lot of anatomical terms at you. So dorsiflexion is, is when the shin bone comes closer to the toes, and this is in weight bearing, which is when it happens when you're walking. Um, also, it'll happen in non-weight bearing, because when I go to land on my heel, my toes come up. So that's, that's dorsiflexion in non-weight bearing. So we do want that dorsiflexion to happen. Now, if you're sitting on something and you, you've got a TheraBand or a towel and you're pulling that up to try to get more, more motion, that's not really authentic because you can't pull up as much as your body weight much better off to be using body weight. Now, unless you're non-weight-bearing status because of some post-surgical or whatever, but but you really want the, the weight-bearing. So we're going to work on dorsiflexion. We're going to work on eversion and inversion, which happens sideways. So what I mean by that is if I step this way, my heel bone reacts by going that way. And when I step this way, my heel bone reacts by going that way. So we've got eversion and we've got inversion. We want both of those because that eversion and inversion is what gets that bone on top, the talus to rotate down and in or up and out, which is what triggers everything that we want to happen correctly. So, um, <clears throat> so and then there's rotation. So everybody's familiar with the, with the word pronation because, you know, they used to, they used to create shoes that would stop people from pronating because they figured that was the big problem. And wow, they messed up a lot of people and caused a lot of harm because you need to pronate. It's required in gait. Yes, there are people who excessively pronate. There are also people who excessively supinate, which is the opposite. But pronation is when your foot goes down and in. And then supination is when it comes up and out. And if you rotate, you can create that. So if I rotate left, my foot, my right foot is now pronating. It's going down. And if I rotate right using my other foot, now my right foot is supinating. It's coming up and out. So in that part of gait, when you land on your heel and you want that nice flexible shock absorbing surface, that is the heels everting and you're pronating. When you go to push off the toe, the heel is now moving from eversion into inversion and you are supinating as you push off the toe. The supination is when you have that nice solid surface. Pronation is when you've got the flexible surface. So you need both. If you're not able to pronate, you're not going to have that whole internal rotation switch and everything happen up and back down. If you're not able to supinate, you're not going to have a nice solid toe off because the body isn't going to be able to, to do that. You need both. And your body has to be able to move in and out of those motions. So I'm going to show you a couple of things. Obviously, I don't want anybody to get hurt, so don't do anything that causes pain. Um, you know, you might want to try this barefoot if you don't need to use an orthotic uh, or you don't need to be in shoes. Some people really need to be in an orthotic or shoes. I'm not telling anybody what to do here for that. But I'm going to show you some motions. And the goal is to get the ankle mobilized so that you know it's working when it's supposed to. So we'll start off with the stepping forward. So if I step forward, but I keep my knee straight and I keep my heel down, I'm getting a really nice dorsiflexion here. You don't want this because now you're not getting dorsiflexion. So just come forward as much as you can and then drop down and that will give you a nice dorsiflexion. Hold on. Obviously, if you're at any risk of falling, hold on. 
and you might be able to go further and feel safer. But as soon as that heel starts to come up, you know you're at your end point. Now, you might want to pay attention to the foot because I've seen this in countless times working with people. A lot of the times, if there's a dorsiflexion impairment or deficit, the foot will turn out automatically so that when they do this, they don't have to dorsiflex as much. The foot kind of cheats. It, it turns itself out because the brain says, oh, we want to go forward. Well, we got to turn the foot out for that to happen. So the brain will cheat and it won't tell you it's cheating. So you need to look down and make sure that foot is really pointed forward and go into that motion. And that can give you that nice dorsiflexion. Now, if you want, you can go back and forth if you're a little bit where you're holding on, you can go forward for dorsiflexion and come back for plantar flexion. So now it's where I'm pointing my toes. So now you're going to get a beautiful load in both directions and that'll really mobilize. And you're going to feel this a lot better than if you're using a towel or a TheraBand because it's weight bearing. And so you're getting a really nice motion in the sagittal plane. Now we want to get the frontal plane. So now we're going to step sideways and uh, I'll show you, I think from behind, it'd be better for you to see that. So if I step this way and this way, you're keeping the foot down and you're getting that nice motion, that beautiful rocker motion back and forth. You don't want that foot to feel like it's turning out or turning in. You don't want it to feel like you're rolling out or in on that foot. No risk of sprains here. A lot of the time when people have ankle sprains, they have no idea that they didn't restore full function in the ankle and they'll get a repeat sprain because it was lacking and it never got restored. Or they'll end up with knee issues or hip issues or shoulder issues and they have no idea it's the, the ankle. I've worked with a lot of athletes and I can't tell you how many athletes went back into the game after an ankle sprain because they had no more pain and they felt like they had full function and the coach said it was okay to, to join the game again. And there were a lot of these were younger athletes, 13, 14, 15 years old. Nobody assessed them to be sure they had full dorsiflexion, eversion, inversion, pronation, supination. Nobody assessed, but there was no more pain and they could run and they could do everything. So why wouldn't they go back in the game? But because it, there was an impairment still there from the sprain, they ended up with other issues, especially if they were a pitcher. They would end up with shoulder problems. So, uh, you know, a lot of soccer players, they ended up with a knee problem or a hip problem. I can tell you right now, um, <clears throat> there's an organization called the Gray Institute that has worked with, with, with athletes for decades the, the programs they create for the young athletes literally eliminates the risk of ACL injuries. They have one team that they have, they have trained for years. The only ACL injury ever sustained was because one of the players slipped on ice. It had nothing to do with playing the game or training or anything. It was just a freak accident. No ACL injuries at all. And I wouldn't even let my teenage, my oldest daughter play soccer in high school because I didn't want her. I was working acute care and I saw the 17 year olds coming in there with ACL tears needing surgery. I told her, you're not playing soccer. You can do anything you want, but soccer. I don't want you ended up. And, and she ended up being a really, really gifted long distance runner. So she did what she was meant to do anyway. I didn't, you know, destroy her dream. But, but a lot of that is improper training of the ankle. And, you know, the whole thing with the neck, my, my favorite story is a guy I worked with who had um, been seen by a PT for conventional uh, problems with neck pain like eight or nine times. And he was getting ultrasound and massage and range of motion and all this other stuff. And I want to kind of say nonsense because it was. And when I looked at him, he ended up on my schedule because his PT was on vacation and he told me his pain was always when he took his morning walk. I said, have you ever sprained your ankles? He said, constantly in college. We restored his ankle motion and he had no more neck pain. He could walk for hours with no neck pain. So it's all connected. Uh, you know, I've restored ankle function on football quarterbacks and, and softball pitchers. And it's all connected. But if it's not happening subconsciously, 100% of the time correctly with the ankle, 
nothing above is going to be working correctly either. So it's really important to start with that foundation. So that back and forth. And if you want to add going forward a little bit, so instead of just going back and forth, and again, hold on, if you want to be safe, you know, don't, don't risk falling down, but that back and forth, you come forward more with that foot. So I'm now in dorsiflexion and I'm going back and forth. And sometimes it's easier if you hold on to a wall so that you're, you're good and stable. And I got this back and I come way forward with my other foot. And now when I'm close to the wall and I'm doing this, I'm getting a lot of side motion with a lot of that dorsiflexion included. So that is a great way to get the side motion, eversion, inversion, and then the rotation. Start off nice and easy. Just turn a little bit in, turn a little bit out, turn a little bit in, turn a little bit out. Now, your hip might be limited in rotation depending on what's going on in your world. And believe it or not, it really doesn't have to do with age. You know, I'm, I'm doing my reverse aging boot camp this week. We got to change our mindset. All that nonsense we've been told about you are getting older, you know, those are just lies from the pit of hell. And once you believe them, you stop doing things and then you do end up declining. So we got to change our mindset so we can change our activity. And so if you turn in and out, just comfortable, nothing should ever hurt. Nice and easy. And this one, you're not necessarily worried too much about adding a lot of dorsiflexion, especially for something like this where I can't watch you and make sure you're safe. But you're, you're just going to go back and forth. So now I'm supinating. Now I'm pronating. Supinating, pronating. And if you do it, if you're able to do it without risk of falling, without holding on, your ankle has to eccentrically control the motion. So the muscles and the tendons literally strengthen because they're learning to control. They're not going to let you roll out or get injured to the best of their ability. That's why you start off nice and slow and easy holding on. So you really want your ankle to be fully mobile in all three planes, but you also want it to be fully stable in all three planes. It's huge. And you might be shocked at how much better everything up the body feels when you restore that. So, all right, I'm going to answer any questions, AJ, if there's any questions on the movements, any. Yes, we do have questions. And there's a lot of people here that have attended your boot camp today like Dixie and loved it and thank you and Jesse's going to watch the replay so we have a question from a live viewer named Ronnie who says I just found out I tore my hamstring and my labrum and I'm looking at muscle repair surgery I have no idea what I'm in for will I be down very long how long will PT take mm. well that's going to be pretty individual depending on your condition prior to the injury how much else how many other injuries are involved? The labrum, is it the hip? Is it, um, you know, I mean that, and then the surgeon, the skill of the surgeon. So that's a pretty iffy thing. Muscle reattachment can take quite a while to heal. And then rehabbing the function of that muscle is huge. I will say this, I would highly encourage you to find a PT or other expert who has been trained in the fellowship program in the Gray Institute. If you just go online and, and, and do an internet search Gray Institute, G-R-A-Y, you'll find their phone number, call them, find someone who's graduated from the fellowship program. Because I can tell you this, I've seen firsthand high profile athletes who were getting nowhere after serious injuries, especially if it's hamstring because they were training them the traditional hamstring way. The laying down and the bending the knee and, the, and the, all the other nonsense, which is not how the hamstring functions in real life or in sports. And, and until this, these athletes are trained correctly, they, they never get restored back to, to where they can be. So I highly emphasize that for you. Absolutely. 
Great. Now, Steve had a question how not to have plantar fasciitis, but I put the link because you did a whole talk on that. Yes. Yes, I did. I actually have um, several YouTube videos on that as well. Yep. Fantastic. Let's see. So if there's any more questions, please put four question marks first so that I can differentiate. Uh, oh, here, this is a good one from Angela. What's the difference between ankle eversion and ankle pronation? That's a really good question. So, oh, I wish I had my little foot model down here. So the foot can be broken up into rear foot, midfoot, and forefoot. And so what happens in the rear foot, that's where you get the eversion inversion of the heel. Now, when that's happening, the rest of the foot is responding. So when the heel everts, the rest of the foot is pronating. And when the heel inverts, the rest of the foot is supinating. So they're happening at the same time, just a little different way in different parts of the foot. Hopefully that makes sense. Thank you. Do you ever work with cervical instability, asks Peggy. Well, instability can mean a lot of things. If someone, I mean, I know that if someone's born with Down syndrome, they can have an unstable C2, which is why they should never have a cervical manipulation because that could be very dangerous for them. So, and, and so, you know, instability, there's different reasons. I think it would depend on the reason for the instability. Um, there are movements and trainings that can be done to make a body more stable and the neck the neck is very interesting, and, and I, I'll have to do a show on the neck at some point, AJ, but, but the neck is interesting because it's got the upper neck has a different function than the lower neck, and a lot of people don't know this. We all know we have discs in our spine between the vertebrae, but between the head, the skull, and the first cervical vertebrae, there's no disc, and between the first cervical vertebrae and the second cervical vertebrae, there's no disc. The discs don't happen until you get underneath the second cervical between that one and the third and, and on downward. So, and the reason there's no discs there is because those bones are shaped and they, they interact with each other in a very specific way, which makes our head motion extremely functional. And the upper cervical spine has the ability to do what's called type one motion, which means it's really good at, at rotating and side bending opposite. So like if I turn my head to look at something, so I'm turning to the right now, but I'm kind of like, huh? You know, so now I'm tilted left. Well, that's what my upper cervical spine is really good at. When you start getting down below C2, it's really good at what's called type two motion, which is the same direction. So that would be rotating right and side bending right. So if somebody struggles to do one of those two motions, we know the problem is more upper or more lower. And then there's ways to mobilize the body that influences that movement without actively annoying the neck and, and risking any kind of injury. So there's a lot that can be done. Um, but again, it depends on, you know, what's causing the instability. Great. Thank you. Oh, thank you, Angela, for my super chat donation. I have a small bell because the big one seems to uh, upset Bailey. Here's a question from Jane. Can tight calf muscles impact ankle mobility? And if so, maybe what to do about them? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Calf muscles can get very tight and restricted from prolonged sitting, as well as if someone has a history of ankle sprains. Um, so the calf muscles just kind of like that gentleman with the neck pain. He he had lost his his he had no dorsiflexion. So um, healthy dorsiflexion is anywhere from twenty to thirty degrees. So if this is zero. And, you know, coming up here between 20 and 30 degrees, that's healthy, normal dorsiflexion. He was stuck at zero. He had no dorsiflexion on one ankle. And he was literally a little bit, um, a little bit plantar flexed, a little bit toe pointed, like five degrees on the other one. So he had no dorsiflexion whatsoever. So his calves were not used to getting longer, 
moving into dorsiflexion. So when we mobilized his ankles, we had to give him a very special way to get the length back in those muscles relatively quickly. Um, so there's, there's a really good one. Um, if you go to that, that slide that I showed for the MPA, the movement performance assessment, that there's a workout in there that teaches how to get the, the calf loading well and lengthened in all three planes. So that would be my best advice because it, it's a, it's a pretty thorough teaching. And I, and I also mentioned modifications that might be needed. So. Great. Thank you. Donna says, my sister has having lots of ankle pain and she doesn't recall any injuries that could cause it. Should she see a chiropractor? Her PCP is not helping. Um, I'm not sure how well-versed chiropractors are in authentic foot ankle function. I'm sure there might be some that are, but I'm not aware of it. I would, I would recommend finding a, a PT who's well-versed in foot function. Um, sometimes it's hard to find a lot of PTs have been taught the way I was taught back in school, which, you know, the foot did stuff and you assessed it when the person was laying on a table, which is really inaccurate because that's not when the foot does what it's supposed to do. You really have to assess it in weight bearing and in movement and all. You can do some, some palpation to see if there's, there's motion lacking, but for the most part, you want to see what it's doing when the person's upright. So um, finding somebody who's well-trained in that, there could be something going on. And of course, I'm not diagnosing, I'm just throwing information out there. Uh, between the rear foot and the midfoot, there is a joint line. And between the midfoot and the forefoot, there's another joint line. And sometimes those particular joints can get a little bit, to make it easy to understand, kind of gunked up, they kind of lose a little motion. So uh, that may be what's going on. Sometimes people can end up with um, a, a, a ligament that's that's been injured and they, they're not even aware of it. They didn't even know it happened or even a tendon that's that's unhappy because of some other area of the body that's not doing what it's supposed to do. So, I mean, technically that foot could be responding to somebody who doesn't have good trunk work or, you know, the hip is lacking or or something else, so... All right. Thank you. Okay. So I had a funny thing with my computer, but it just got fixed. Annette, Annette says, is it dangerous to tip your head way back to stretch the neck as part of a cool down? I wouldn't recommend it mainly because you do want to have extension in the neck. You do want your head to be able to fall back. I can't talk when I go all the way back. So I'll just But you don't really need to stretch those muscles. The majority of the time, what we do, you know, when we're, we're this, is it comes forward. And then so that you're not looking down at the floor, you're doing this. So it's not that these muscles get shortened. They get misplaced, so to speak. And, and this gets shortened here. So what people really need to be doing more of is 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 lengthening the back because that's what gets short for most of us, especially in this high tech world. Stretching these is, is I would say probably 99.99% .99 of the time unnecessary. And you've got your blood supply to the brain. You've got your carotids and you've got your vertebrals. You've only got two blood supplies. And a lot of people know the carotids, you know, they get that end and endocarterectomy, I don't know if I'm even saying that correctly, it's got so many syllables, but they, they wrote a rooter out their, their carotids because, you know, and of course we know if you've got any blockage anywhere, you've got it everywhere, but that's another topic. And so when, if those carotids are blocked, which a lot of people, they are up to 70% or more, your vertebrals, your body's counting on your vertebrals. And if you go way back, if you're turned even slightly, you're kind of shutting down the vertebral blood flow to the brain. And if the carotids are restricted, now you've just really restricted blood flow. And that's, that's not a good thing ever for the brain. So I wouldn't, wouldn't, I would never really recommend stretching the front of the neck. Great. Thank you. And here's a question from Cindy, the tendon on the bottom of my foot, I believe it attaches to the inside of the arch, gets tight and sore. Do you know what causes it? Well, you've got, excuse me, you've got 
more than one tendon that goes under the foot. Um, you know, it could be the, the posterior tibialis. It could be um, anterior tibialis. I mean, there, there's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of muscles there. So it's that area of the foot. Ideally, the best way, at least this is how I, when I assess people, I assess what motion is lacking, what motion is causing or exacerbating the symptom, if any. So from the motions we did, you know, did, does going forward aggravate that, that tendon? Does going this way aggravate it? Does going this way aggravate it? Um, how about this way? How about this way? And then the goal is how to restore the motion because there's something that has its knickers in a twist down there. And yeah, you could focus on that one little thing. You could do friction, deep friction massage. You could do ice massage. You can do, God forbid, a corticosteroid injection. I mean, there's all kinds of things you could do, but there's something functionally that's gone awry. And so figuring out what's not functioning and then restoring the function, ideally that, that pain would resolve, uh, you know, unless there's some injury that needs to to repair itself. Got it. Thank you. I don't know if you can address this question from Diana. Will my pain go away every morning when I wake up? I'm in such pain. I can hardly walk without pressure on my feet. I've been told I have fibromyalgia. Mm. Well, a lot of my research and AJ, you may agree with me on this. Um, chronic inflammation has been seen to be a big player when it comes to fibromyalgia and food intake has been, I've, I've looked at a lot of data and a lot of data shows dietary changes play a huge role in fibromyalgia and the symptoms. So there's, there's a lot that can be done. Addressing that chronic inflammation is huge. And a lot of the times food is the biggest culprit. And then excess body weight, the fat cells, they, they produce inflammatory cytokines. They produce chemicals that promote inflammation in the body and the more inflammation, the more pain, the more stiffness. So I don't know if this person is consuming a, a you know, a healthy diet, like what you teach on, on this channel or not, but if not, I highly recommend it. Yeah. Let um, us, let us know what, what you're eating, Diana, and uh, see if we can help you. Okay. Um, let's see. It, okay, we answered that one. Okay, uh, we answered that one. So yeah, it helps when you put the question marks first. That might be it. Am I seeing anything that, am I missing anything, guys? Let me know. Suzanne and Jesse, you're here if I missed any of the questions. This was fascinating as usual, that everything is connected. Yes. Yeah. What do you do just for like a regular old sprained ankle? You know, the, uh, the rice, you know, like rest, ice, compression, mm -hmm. elevate. Well, the old fashioned rice has been completely debunked. The, I, I forget the name of the man who he published the book back in 1973, rest, ice, compression, elevation. It's been completely debunked. It is probably one of the worst things to do and it will greatly delay rehabilitation of proper function of the ankle. Um, what I've been taught to do from the experts is to get the person weight bearing as quickly as possible and to restore function as quickly as possible. So those it's, it's not what it used to be at all. Very, very different. Um, and, and if the person is too painful, if somebody has, you know, a sprained ankle, that's really, really painful and they can't really take a lot of weight on it. You can still put a towel on the floor and you can slide the foot back and forth and get some motion, as much motion as can be tolerated. That is That has been shown to get an ankle back faster than anything, so. Mm, that's nice. Here's Dixie's question. Thanks, Jesse, for reposting. Guys, if you don't put the four question marks, I always miss it. I have a tendon that slides over my ankle bone and makes a popping sound. Is there anything I can do to exercise that? Okay, I have, I missed the first, th first three words. I have a, a tendon that slides over my ankle tendon. bone. Uh -huh. Okay. A tendon that slides over the ankle bone. So if, um, 
I know I used to work with a lot of dirt bike racers and, uh, you know, they all start around the age of four. So by the time they're 13, they can't walk across the floor without snap, 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 because everything's biomechanically off. They've had so many injuries since they were four years old. And um, so the body is designed to move silently. So if there's noise, there's something off mechanically. And so something is not moving at the right time, the right way. And that tendon is having to play catch up and snap to catch up for the movement. Um, without physically assessing you, I, I really can't give any more advice than that. I do know that you might, you know, when if you if you decided you wanted to do the movement performance assessment, the MPA, you might be able to figure out what's not working properly and and train it yourself. It's possible. Great. Um, yeah, video of a thousand nights. You didn't put the question marks in front. That's why I had trouble locating it. But the question is, is standing on one foot for as long as you can a good exercise or kind of silly? It's relatively useless. Um, I mean, you'll increase weight bearing, right? I mean, I'm I'm I've got a lot more weight on that foot now, so it's got to build some endurance, but it's not going to improve. Um, and we, we talked about this at length yesterday in day one of the, the reverse aging boot camp. Balance and stability needs to be trained in movement, not in stillness, because nobody ever fell down when they were standing still. People fall when they're moving, they lose their balance, and they're not able to regain it, which is stability. Balance is maintaining a position. Stability is, is regaining a position once you've, it's been disrupted. And we all want stability because stuff can happen and, you know, stuff that surprises you. You, you want to be able to keep yourself from falling and getting hurt and standing on one leg doesn't really do that. It doesn't prevent anything. It, it's really got to be trained in motion. And we did a big training on balance yesterday and stability. Yeah. Fantastic. I think we might've got all the questions. Um, what do you suggest? Oh, here's one more. What do you suggest if watching a movie with a person who is sitting and wanting to do an exercise? Like, do you have any, like maybe movements you sneak in when people are just sitting around? Well, I always tell people because I had a reverse sitting pain challenge not that long ago. And I told people they got to get up every 20 to 30 minutes. Even when I did my PowerPoint slide today, I told them set your, set your, your clocks and get up every 20 or 30 minutes and do your back bends and your chair squats to get some blood supply to Max. Cause Max just doesn't like it when he doesn't get blood and he sort of gets deflated. So, um, so, so that said, um, I've, I've worked with people. I think I have a video on YouTube about this. If you are a, a captive audience and you can't get up, so say you're on an airplane, or you're, you're, you know, a passenger in a vehicle and you can't get up uh, to stand up and backbend and stuff. There is pelvis work that you can do. You can do some, some anterior, posterior pelvis work. You can do some side to side and you can do this in sitting. Uh, I don't know if you can see me moving, but um, I can, I can do this in sitting where I'm sort of moving my pelvis side to side. You can even rotate your pelvis by having one knee go forward, the other knee go forward. So you're getting some mobility in there and the, and the rounding out the back and arching the back, that can be really good to do if you're stuck prolonged sitting and you can't get up. So those are the things that, that I would recommend. Thank you. Oh, I keep wanting to say goodbye. And then there's another question. This is from Melanie. Is a waiver or vibrating machine for osteoporosis okay for someone with a sub subtalar fusion? Um, I would check with your healthcare provider. I wouldn't want to give specific advice to anyone. Uh, I do know that I was just buried deep in the data for what builds bone and the vibrational stuff. The, the jury is still out as far as that actually increasing bone density. It hasn't been, hasn't been concluded in the data. Great. Well, thank and there's you. There's some so real expensive machines out there. So are they good for other things though? Do you, do you recommend them? I haven't really seen anything that, that where I would want to invest in one, I guess would be the best way to put it. Okay. 
Sounds good. Well, thank you. Did you have a nice Thanksgiving? What did you do? What did you eat? What did you make? I did. I had my son over. It's it's um it's so funny. I had somebody who um who doesn't eat animal foods who had emailed and said, you know, I might actually partake of a little bit of turkey. And I said, well, you know, this is the only day of the year where um, carnivores eat a lot of vegetables. <laughs> So, and I make a lot of vegetables. I do Brussels sprouts and I love rutabaga. Oh, mashed rutabaga is one of my favorite vegetables on the planet. Oh, and wow. um, and cauliflower with a cream sauce, which of course is non-dairy. Yeah. Um, just, yeah. Just, oh, I just, I love Thanksgiving because it's too. all the food with no presents to wrap and no tree to decorate. Just, just lots yeah. of food it's and it's best. all good stuff. My so. favorite too. Well, thank you so much. So I think, are we seeing you before or after Christmas? Let me see. You're the fourth. I believe it's the day after. Oh my gosh. Are you available? That's right. You're the day after Christmas. Yeah. How to move yeah. after you're so full from Christmas dinner. No. <laughs> yes. Yes. Nice. Well, thank you so much. I really enjoy your presentations. I always learn something. Thanks, AJ. I love being here and I love your audience. Oh, well, so they love you. you. Thank you. And we love you. And we thank you for watching another episode of Chef AJ Live. Please come back in about two hours and 45 minutes for Dr. Brooke Goldner. She is going to be talking about how to get through this holiday season without sabotaging your health or your weight loss. Take care, everyone. Thanks for watching.